It's okay. I'll figure it out as we go. Uh, Keegan Dillon. Michael Blevins. Lucas Cornish. Michael Blevins. Welcome to your first ever (laughs) podcast. Thank you. I'm stoked and nervous. (laughs) Making you nervous. Don't say anything stupid. Uh, Just kidding. Okay. We wouldn't have a podcast if we had that role. (laughs) Worst case scenario, we can cut it out. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Don't say anything racist. So you're going (laughs) to... Against myself. <laughs> no, against us. Oh, or okay. tell people that we are racist. <laughs> um, Keegan, you want to kick it off? Yes. So. Who the fuck? Is, I can't even have a. Here I oh, am. Oh, you don't have a table? You're the one that set the room up. No, I do have a table, but like if I just hold the drink like this, it's literally. <laughs> <laughs> Keegan, go ahead and start this. So I want to do what all great comedians do first, and that's promote Netflix. Um, we've been watching, well, I've been watching extensively. You turned me on to it. The David Beckham documentary. Oh, fuck. Okay. And we started talking about resiliency the other day because yep. maybe he's the most resilient man on the planet. Easily. Yeah. And then that got me thinking about, and I don't know if this would be resiliency per se, but like trying to get people into gyms and keep them in there. And I'm curious, like, cause I know you go through ebbs and flows of like wanting to train, not wanting to train, but you probably one of the more consistent people I know that trains and I always go through these like big peaks which I mean I kind of do it to myself and then these big valleys of not wanting to train yeah. so how do you like stay consistent or you know what is it about the gym that like keeps you coming back even when you don't want to do it because I feel like there's this misconception that like people that give the illusion of excelling in the gym all the time or people that love it like it's just easy to go in there and train all the time Man, I so the first one is like, is training some form of resilience? I, I think the act of wanting to go back, maybe, and like keep maybe resiliency is the wrong word. Uh, I, I mean, what do I think? Well, like, what do you think consistent training is? That I think that's the first question. Oh, that's a good point. I uh, mean, I think relatively doing it, I mean, I guess that would be like defining training too, but you know three, four or five days a week based on schedule routine, kind of what you're into and like being able to stick to it for prolonged periods of time without like weeks at a time off, unless that's like a specific deload or, you know, a vacation, maybe what you train more on vacation than when you're not on vacation. Yeah. There's a, I mean, I wrote about a little bit because I think like most of training is like, it's like anything you're into. Right. If you're, um, if you're into like, buying shit you're probably into making money and therefore you like check your bank account every day and like if you're like us you don't do that <laughs> <laughs> or you do and you go oh yeah well because it feels bad and i think most the same sensation comes with right. like people don't train they come in and then they go oh i feel bad and that's why they don't good, do it good so analogy. like they you first have to have like oh yeah i feel good and i think that feel good takes consistency just like anything if i don't go like if I went to jujitsu like once a week, right? No bueno. Like it, I just wouldn't feel good. Same thing. Like when I go shoot with Lucas, I'm like, 
this sucks because I only go like once every right. Other month so or each time you're like just starting to refigure out wherever yeah. you were, or how to get back to where you were, and then yeah. you're like, oh, I'm gone again. So I'm basically two steps back, maybe one and a half steps forward, which you think eventually you are gaining some momentum, but right. it's not enough to make it worth it. I think in any case. Well, I wonder too if like the le- resilience is kind of intertwined with interest. So like you had said to me this once when I first moved here and we started the apprenticeship, you're like, you like training and working out. So like, even if you didn't come here you'd keep doing it. Yeah. Whereas other people, and we say this all the time where people aren't as interested in fitness as we are. So maybe it's more resilient for them to keep training vice for us. Yeah. Cause we're, we stay interested in it. Do you think to excel at exercise, you need to have some level of obsession? Uh, I think to excel anything you do. Yeah. Like I, I think there's like, you have to, well, it has to, I always say this, you're not going to make any progress in anything if you're not thinking about it when you're not doing it. Right. Like that, like it has to like come up as a, ah, why did I, ah, I got that thing or like, how do I do this better? And if that never registers, which I, I'm assuming here, but most people that, that don't get better when they leave the gym, for instance, I don't think they're ever like, how do I manipulate that kettlebell or dumbbell to be more efficient? Or like, if I would have like maybe paced it better, or maybe if I would have like, you know, picked a different weight, the door closes and so does their memory of the workout. Yeah. It's just around it. That thing's over and it was traumatic. And now I'm back to my normal life, which is blah, 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 blah. So I, I think learning, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say like, (laughs) learning is like kind of a a pre uh, or is like post requisite of uh, enjoyment. That doesn't mean it feels good. Right. But there's like some kind of satisfaction involved into it before you can like, there has to be some challenge in it for you to a, like get a dopamine response or something like that chemically. And then there has to be some kind of fulfillment where it like is like, okay, it was frustrating, but I got through it and I felt good. And I think that's where most people that can be consistent, even if they don't love training, they go, okay, I got through it and I felt like even at my performance wasn't good. My whatever wasn't like, I wasn't beating people. I'm not the best person on the planet, but they at least got to the point where they were like, I feel good about my effort. And that's yeah. got like most days, that's all I feel in jujitsu was like, I'm glad I showed up. I got fucking murdered over and over again but i feel good because i showed up and some people don't so i think that that's the first thing to like in our in our fitness is fucked kind of deal is like well what makes what makes people good at it or what makes uh trying to define or at least set the boundaries to be like what are the circumstances in which somebody uh does better than somebody who falls off the board um then on the second note like why do I think I'm consistent or like, what is it that keeps me consistent in training? Um, I, I'm like, a, I've recognized that it's a good way to like, uh, monitor and kind of move energy and emotional qualities. Sure. And like, it just feels kind of like I have to do it. Otherwise my system feels clogged up. I think that's the only way to put it. I think that resonates. Yeah. 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 But I think I'm you, the, the people like me, I would say Aaron is in this category too. We are in danger of uh, stagnating very, very quickly because we go, we use it as like therapy sure. or something. 
Therefore, we're the most likely to fall into retraining traps where we're just kind of like going through the same thing that we've already done. And then also kind of getting frustrated because, God, I just like not getting any better. And I spent an hour a day here or whatever. Uh, I recognize the trap now so I can like do something about it. But I think originally I was like, fuck, I train a lot. And why aren't I better than other people? And so it was actually really frustrating because I would lift a lot. I would like work on things a lot and man people were just stronger than me and they were better at things and so it took me a, a while to realize they go oh it's not the overall volume it is also the volume plus the intention and the intensity that you can like hold in that and that's what i've started to moderate like if i don't feel like training i don't force it and that's something that i think you can't do in the beginning it's sure. the opposite if you don't force it you'll never get it because you'll never get to that point where it actually feels good. Yeah. But then once it feels good, you got to fucking like chill out and make sure that the training is actually working for something. Because then you're just doing damage for no fucking reason whatsoever, I think. Maybe. I mean, you're newer to training. So like maybe your perspective of like uh, what got you into it in the first place. Because, you know, I, I'm about to retire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is my retirement speech, yeah. guys. And you essentially just graduated high school. Yeah. <laughs> just yesterday. What, what do you think? Like, what got you into training? Um, I mean, probably I, high school was would be the start with sports. But really, like, focusing on things um, for joining the Marine Corps. So, like, actually thinking, like, specific stuff. So, um Obviously, like the Marine Corps physical fitness tests with pull-ups and and running uh, were first and foremost. But then I just got interested in like, oh, like weightlifting is enjoyable. I always like dabbled in it, but yeah. Um, and then I would go through just throughout waves of fitness in regards to like what I was interested in. Like I would get bored super quick, so I'd be like, all right, barbell stuff is pretty lame at the moment. And then I'd be like, oh, kettlebells cool, and then oh, CrossFit's cool. Um, did that ever have to do with people you were training with? Um, to some degree, I would say, yeah, I would, I would say to some degree. Um, I think when I was training mostly, mostly alone in like college, it was all like barbell stuff and like maybe you know, like hypertrophy or just like strict strength. Um, and then as I started training with other people, I started to like learn implement. So I think that's where I'd be like, Oh, what's like, I never played with kettlebells before, so I would like kind of fall down that rabbit hole. Um, you hadn't grown out your whimsical mustache yet. No, <laughs> just had some peach fuzz still going. Um, did you have a mustache in the Marines? I did a couple times. Ugh. Only I mean, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was only for I mean, cool. Yeah, that's right off. Um, <laughs> mostly for the no shade November thing. So definitely, definitely wasn't pretty. Prostate awareness. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Sounds like a marine. Yeah. I've I've gone through <laughs> I've gone through changes of myself and I understand I understand my value. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think now that you're like now that you've experienced different things and now you're kind of like training here and it's different, I assume. For sure. Um, what do you what do you think now when you leave or when you think about developing stuff? Because you're not developing it for competition necessarily. Right. But just personal development. what's like interesting to you about it? Um, I think there was, there was one time you said it to me, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned if there's one thing I could really work on, there's obviously plenty of things I could work on, but building like an aerobic base. So like for me right now, 
and it was it was fun the last 10 weeks um working on aerobic base so i like to look i like to look at things that um that i'm somewhat lacking in it's always fun to go back and be like you know when we do a leg day i'm like sweet like mm-hmm. this is my jam but um just anything that anything that i'm i'm lacking i do find an interest in just because it's like all right this is a way this is something new something i can improve yeah. even if i do like i'm not i'm built like a jeep wrangler so like i don't have the aerodynamics <laughs> to like go fast for a long time you know once like you hit 70 miles per hour i shake a little bit on the highway but <laughs> especially with a soft top and that's um but it's still like intriguing to go like, go through those paths yeah well i think biggest bang for the buck is like what can I, what I'm worst at is means that I have the most room for improvement, which means I'll have the most positive reinforcement. True. It just takes a longer buy-in. Yeah, I think. Just the right. most frustration as well up front. Yeah. yeah. How Lucas, like long-term do you think about when you're training now? For myself. And I'll clarify that with like, now that I'm almost 40 and I don't know, Michael, how you think about it, but like now I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to feel like I did in my thirties when I'm in my forties. And I don't want to feel in my 50s the way I felt in my 30s. So, like, I still want to perform, but it's not as important to me as, like, getting out of bed in the morning and feeling good. Have, I have an answer for that, but I want Lucas to answer his first. So the question is, like, what for myself, what yeah, I like long-term Yeah, you're, like, thinking about exercise, like, how far into the future do you think about, like, those things? Like, you're like, oh, I wonder what this will do when I'm 35. Um, I mean, I don't probably think about it too much or – enough however you want to look at it i mean i never thought about it right but i will say like we do say it jokingly around here and in other places um since i am rather younger than you guys you guys kind of look at me and joke like oh you're the young guy like and you feel good and all this um it is nice to have insight both positive and negative as to like what fitness can and cannot do to you um so i think for me like that's the my i'm more intrigued to on top of the stuff that I'm not too good at is also the longevity aspect is like, how long, how long can I feel good? Um, so if I like, if I say like a 10 year plan, 10, 15 year plan, that puts me at 36 to 40 year range. <laughs> I'll be getting social security at that point that, that won't exist either, but um, for sure. But I, it's maybe I like won't have the same numbers as I do now. I, I don't, I'm not sure of my numbers right now at the moment, but just still like say like, Hey, I, I can, you know, do long walks, still feel good, still do all the things that I enjoy doing without pain. That's, I guess, that's probably as far as I look into it in the future. It's just that goal. It's further than I ever looked at it. <laughs> I, I did not actually. Like, I was fairly into look at having examples and being like, ooh, man, I could really fuck this up. And because I was, I was training kind of ridiculously hard, and I realized pretty early on that there was real no data on this. Right. Like <laughs> the kind of shit we were doing was like self self exploration. Yeah. Pe- the people, masochistic kind. Yeah. People aren't like slaying themselves two or three times a day and seeing like the metabolic, you know, stuff that happens. That's, that, that's kind of one of the interesting things. I think I noticed it when I got my like blood work done one time and it was like <laughs> super fucked up on the A1C side. Oh, I remember that conversation. Right? And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're pre diabetic. And the doctor, couldn't comprehend he thought i was like mainlining sugar or something and he's like yeah some people they are able to stay lean and muscular they just you know their pancreas can't handle it and i was like i'm not pre-diabetic and he's like yeah you are it's a hemoglobin 5.1c it's like a 5.7 a1c test and i was like 
what's my triglycerides? What's my, like, look at my fasted glucose. Like you can clear me and see insulin response. I clear insulin like in record time. And I was like, that is not pre-diabetic. That is not a broken metabolism. And he's like, well, so you just never, and he literally would not, he saw the one number. Yeah, the algorithm gave yeah. him his answer. And so I like started doing research on it because I was kind of obsessed with like, what the fuck? Am I, am I pre-diabetic? I got like super scared about it. And then I started recognizing that hemoglobin A1C is the measurement of glucose molecules on the blood, right? On the red blood cell. The reason why it would be elevated is because we do high intensity exercise that demands that you have access to glucose more readily than somebody that's sedentary. So your body's adapting. It just adapted to it. It takes a while to change that number. But the second I stop doing like this high intensity training, that number drops and I'm not in the risk category. So it's like a, a bad measurement, but also I was like, Oh, like doctors don't know that this is a thing that like people train this hard. Some people have throughout history, but not like, not for fun. Right. Right. Like this is not a normal thing to do as a hobby. So I started looking at that, that, and I had like Mark to look at, and I saw a lot of his injuries coming through. Cause at the time that when I first started kind of this stuff and I was with him and he was teaching, he was always like, take care of yourself, you know? And at the time he was really fucking on it. Like he was healthy. He was taking care of himself, but he was still hurting because of, uh, climbing accident that sure. happened in the 80s and it was like i remember him getting worked on i think i want to say it was his thigh and he was like man that was such a painful session i had like apparently i've had a knot in my thigh since 87 or like whatever <laughs> when a chunk of ice fell and hit him and like it just like damaged his muscles so bad and probably tore some soft tissue um and i was like oh man like he's not that much older than me and he's like getting pretty banged up. Sure. And so uh, I had him and then a couple of other people in the gym I was watching athletes wise that it was like, man, they're not going to make it. And then I started calming down and at least paying attention to like how I felt. Um, so I had, I did have like a longer view of it, but I, it wasn't until I turned like 35 that I like clicked. I think that was about for me. Cause I don't remember how old I was the first time I reached out to you before mm -hmm. I came here. But I think it was right around 35. 35, yeah. And I remember at that point, like, you know, Burdick had had a hip replacement. Mm -hmm. Ed Cohen had two hip replacements. Like, all these people that I, like, revered were yeah. also now, like, half biomechanical or yeah. freaking Terminators. And two I'm like, man, I really don't want to lift myself into a new hip at some point. Well, that, that was kind of funny. So, in 2017, Mark got his first hip replaced. And I remember, like... He didn't really have, you know, I went and took care of, picked him up from the hospital. Yeah, I was here for that. I, yeah, and I remember being like, fuck, he's only like 50-something. I think he was like 57 at the time, 58. Something like that. Yeah, and I was like, granted, like, I hear about a lot of people having hip replacements, so it's not, it's not like, uh, people do fine with him. Yeah, it's not like he was having his leg amputated. Yeah, but I was also like, I don't want to do that. You know, like, fuck, how do I take care of my head? So I started looking at, like, mobility and, like, other things just based off of his experience. And I was like, what did he do and not take care of that, like, I'm not doing or whatever? So I started looking at, like, that. But the biggest, I think the biggest timeline shift is when I was training, originally I was like, I want to lift this much weight by this date or I want to be this jacked by this date or I want to be, it was, like, very, like, immediate by... The next six weeks, the next yeah. twelve week cycle, the next You're like, like living cycle to cycle. Yeah, and that's all I cared about was like, okay, I got it. That and sometimes that's the only way to keep the intensity high, and I think that's what 
high intensity training leads to is a short viewpoint. That is probably the biggest problem with it is like, because you're dealing with minutes and seconds and you know, at the most an hour, that's also where your frame of reference is for, for like what you think about it's short. It's a short time scale because I can only do this build cycle for six weeks. So I'm not worried about what happens in three months or six months or six years. So you're, you're just focus goes immediately. It goes immediately into the same energy that is required in, to order that intensity, which is like, don't think about the future because you're hurting, like you're hurting yourself kind of purpose. Yeah. It's, you wouldn't want to like lay out a six month intensity block and like look at every single workout you had to do for six months. Never. You would never do that. Right. Uh, and now I think it changed now when I just look at it, it, it took a while to change. I don't know when it did change. I think in, this sucks to say, but I actually think in terms of decades, like it changed, it shifted. It was probably a slight shift when I was like, okay, next year, I still want to be able to do this and I want to be able to do this. And then like in five years, I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to do that. And now I'm like, in 10 years, yeah. I still want to be able to do this. I want to run. I want to be able to jump. And so I actually, I, I, jumping was a good example of that because I hadn't done a lot of it for the past couple of years. Uh, mostly I've had like kind of a knee issue and also not really a want to do it. It hasn't felt good. Right. And right. then recently I wanted to jump. So I was like, oh yeah, I got to get my jump back. And then I started looking at it. I was like, oh, jumping is really good for you. You just got to be very, you got to like plan for it. And when we started doing jump training, I was like, I want to be able to do this in 10 years. And it immediately got out. I wasn't like, I'm not thinking about doing a 10 foot broad jump anymore. But originally when I was trying to jump, I was like, I fucking want a 10 foot broad jump. Right. Because we all go to like the extreme of the thing that we're doing. (laughs) And I was like, I, dude, I don't know how long I worked on that. Probably like three years, but it, it wasn't ever, it wasn't ever, I didn't ever build it properly. I just kept jumping kept doing the same dumb shit and not getting any better and just getting frustrated with it because I didn't understand jumping mechanics and I didn't understand how to properly develop power. Um, and I was, I was developing kind of like the big musculature responsible for lifting and thinking that that was jumping muscles. And now, uh, well, I, and so I never got that much better. So I kind of died out, but I could never get, I could never get over. I think nine, nine was the farthest I could broad jump standing broad jump. Yeah. And it's like, I really wanted a 10 foot broad jump because I thought that I could do it. Like I felt springy. I felt like I could like get there and I never did. It kind of backed off and not until we started jumping again, but the timeline was different. I was like, okay, if I want to develop the jump, it's going to take like a year or two. Sure. And that was like totally acceptable to me. But 15 years ago, that would be unacceptable. It's too slow. And so I think the timeline of training and maybe it's obviously it's experience is a couple other things, but the, the timeline of training, how you think about what you want, what your goals are, will also kind of frame your longevity. The, 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 the shorter your frame of reference. So if I want like, I want abs in six weeks, you're not going to keep them for even six weeks because right. your frame of reference sucks. But if you're like, in a year, I want abs, you will keep them for years. Right, because you, you've also had, you know what, you said six weeks, mm-hmm. so... 46 other weeks to keep developing the habits to get you to the point that now it's like, that's your life. Yeah. As opposed to like, Oh, I just got to suffer for six weeks and I'll get there. Yeah. And then you're like, cool. Now what happens? And you're like, well, ice cream and pizza. Cause I just, yeah, I just did it. 
Do you know what's funny about that reference? I just thought about it, but this is like, this is a huge thing that they talk about in business coaching circles where they're like, your success <clears throat> is determined by your timeline. If you're like, I need to make money this week, you're not going to be that successful. It's like the early winner, late loser kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And instead, they're like, if you can imagine yourself being successful in 10 years, you'll do you'll do the effort that you need to get there as long as you can keep reminding yourself, I'm going to be successful in 10 years. So when you expand the timeline, you like you I, it's exponentially increase your odds of success because you give yourself time to a do the right things and fuck up and right. recover from them and make new plans and try again and fail and try again. But in the short timeline, when people don't hit the immediate goal, they're kind of like, fuck. And then they have no resilience, which kind of brings us, you know, right back into the book ended of like, well, maybe training is resilience and maybe just your way you frame it is actually what it is. Um, I, I can't parse the difference between why I would consider what I did originally kind of a negative connotation. I don't think it is, but I would say the danger in doing it, how I started is that people don't normally last. And so I, I wouldn't recommend anybody do what I did unless they have the same obsession that I have. Right. If you have an obsessive, uh, like obsessive quality, yeah, work out as much as you want. Yeah, I think so too. Do that's what, I, that's what I was going to say to you is like, don't not try to kill yourself every once in a while because we don't anymore right. yeah, that yeah. often. Yeah. I wonder too, is this like tied to um, like a drive for competition? I think competition in kind of a broad term so like competition actual events mm -hmm. and then also let's say um like instagram like you, you want to be competitive on instagram because yeah. like you want more followers more likes and i think this also ties to like the business analogy is to make more money is competitive mm -hmm. so it's like do you want to be competitive right now like be like blow up this brand name real quick and then it dies out in x amount of years mm -hmm. or um so i wonder if a lot of it too gets tied to competition in a way and not saying competition mm -hmm. is bad but Again, to use that business analogy, it's like, I want to be a good business in 10 years, vice like a good business in a couple months. Well, well, I think it's a good point. I, I think the difference there, and it's, it is kind of weird to look at. Usually when people, um, when they frame the term competition, they, they think against. Right. Right, like in comparison to, or better than, or like proving, or something like, one of these connotations that actually I don't I don't think that's inherently how it is because there's a different kind of competitiveness that comes out of um, just will and determination, right. right? Like there's an evolutionary competitiveness that maybe has to do with winning and losing, but more to do with winning than it does making somebody else lose. Sure, yeah. And, and so there, that separation I think is really important because I wasn't trying I wasn't necessarily trying to compete with people. Uh, I wasn't trying to be better than anybody. I was, in fact, doing the like, you're the fucking. I only fucking. I only compete with myself. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I I was naturally. I was naturally doing that. I wasn't sure where you were going with that at first. I, <laughs> that was good. I just when I when I hear it in my head, I just like you're so full of shit. Like people that say it don't mean it, and so I have to say it ridiculously that because I think I did it on accident. I wasn't ever like I was envious and jealous, and I wanted 
certain things, but I wasn't ever like, oh, I'm going to beat that person. You know, more yeah. or less, I was like, I fucking hate that person, so I'm going to work harder. But it wasn't like about beating people or something like that. That, that I think, is like, I think you have to clarify what competitiveness can give you. And then he mentioned something else, but I kind of lost it. I think there can like there's toxic qualities to competition, obviously, mm-hmm. and then there's not toxic qualities. Mm-hmm. Like when I was powerlifting, um, Jesse had a better bench than me, so I wanted to outbench him. But it wasn't like now I'm better than you. It was like cool. Now it's your turn, right? And and that maybe that's the point that I was trying to get to is like once you start to clarify that this is not a I need somebody else to lose in order to win, right? You start to actually get way more longevity out of it. Um, well, I mean, be- if I can push you to push me to push you, yeah, we have a lot. We have a lot better chance, I think, of like continuing on the path we're on, as opposed to like if I'm like, oh, I fucking beat Michael. Who's next? Or like, yeah. I don't get anything out of that. It's an arms race of some sort. Like I'm like, oh shit, Keegan showed up. To- I gotta show up today. Like I can't. It's not a negative thing. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. trying to like. But if I'm like, ha, I showed up and Keegan to show up. You're like, I know eventually I'm gonna be better. And if you don't catch on, that will fade from my motivation. But if you, the reason to do it is that if I fuel it a little bit and you fuel it a little bit, then we're both fueled towards the same yep. overall progressive timeline. Um, the the it's funny that you mentioned like the the business part of it is kind of like a function of that. Well, it's what kind of what we were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a hundred percent like it. It's like. I think the biggest mistakes made in business are probably the same mistakes made in fit. Yep. They, they they layer on top of each other, sadly. So then you get a fitness addict opening a business. <laughs> that thinks they can CrossFit their way to right, just, like riches. Yeah, AMRAP mentality, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What time do you wake up today? <laughs> I go to bed after the enemy goes to sleep. I sleep today. That's up. true. That's 100% true. <laughs> It is 100% true. You won today. There's about yeah. 12 hours of sleep in this room right now. Well, I want to check in and be like, wait, you wake up before the enemy, but because of the time, because Al-Qaeda is in the Middle East, they're already like 13 hours ahead of you or something. So, bro, you got to like... And at this point, I'm sure there's an ROE rules of engagement where like, you can't kill them while they're sleeping, dude. <laughs> 4 a.m. is too early for I think math. Bin Laden was the last one. <laughs> I sleep in because the Geneva Convention. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I, I can't think, kill the enemy till noon. <laughs> I gotta let him have his brunch. Yeah. One one day that might be the new rule. Actually, can't you can't gas him until noon, and then you can fucking hail mary. <laughs> Um, the, the other thing, God, I can't believe I forgot that fucking, I had something that was off of what Lucas was saying, but I'll come back to it once my brain gets in order. Um, the thing I was going to ask about, well, there, there is a connection here between like the fitness and business thing, but uh, the funny thing about training, I think from overall, and if I could like, it hit me, it dawned on me a long time ago, but I didn't really know how to formulate it is that the fitness thing for me I noticed that when I did it, it allowed my brain to do so many more things. And so I wasn't necessarily for the longest time looking for like the physical qualities. I mean, for a really long time, I haven't really like sought that. Every once in a while, pop up and be like, "Eh, I'm kind of fat or "Eh, I kind of like got to gain mass or I should probably not suck at breathing. And then I'll like 
I'm already doing it, so it's really easy to facilitate. Right, just pay a little more attention to those specific things. Yeah, and because I have such a long history with it, it's not that bad. Right. Right. It's, it's really never that hard to be like, oh, I got to make some adjustments. Yeah, you're not really starting from zero on yeah. anything. And that's, I wrote about this uh, this week in the space program, which is like, uh, you know, now that we have kind of a, uh, what I would call a bare minimum aerobic base, like Lucas said that we're working at, I was like, it, it 80% of the work is in building it. That's the hard part. Maintaining it takes almost nothing. Like, you could probably do one 90 minute session a week. And you would keep 90% of those gains. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize when they train is like, you, I, I get mad at people for doing the retraining thing where they're just repeating the same thing over and over again. Because if you're just going to repeat the same thing over and over again, you only need like 20% of it. So you could, you could ditch, you know, four fifths. Uh, you, you could work out once or twice a week and you would literally stay the same. The reason most people are training is because it feels good on their brain. And that's what I noticed a long time ago. So most of what I was doing when I was exercising was looking for ideas and concepts to come up naturally during the workout or, you know, effort or whatever. I'd be running or be biking or I'd be doing a circuit or something. And when it would hit, I would like let it formulate and let it kind of uh, like spin around in my head. And then immediately when I get done, I would start writing or I get that idea. Yeah. So those ideas happen during training. Yeah. Cause it took me fuck maybe until three years ago mm-hmm. to realize a similar effect. But for me, it's like, especially longer aerobic sessions allows my brain a chance to process what's already in there. Yes. So I have space after to have those ideas. Yeah. So the, a large part of the uh, capacity manual, I recognize that that's the capacity that I've been like, that's why I had been training capacity. And the funny thing is, is it matches um, it matches the phase of the idea. Yeah. So the closer I get to sharpening an idea, like I've laid out the base, I've laid out the foundation for what the idea is, I've written it down a couple different ways, maybe even expanded on it in an essay or an article or you know now it's part of a, a book or something as a chapter in a book. To sharpen it, I almost treat it like it is. I, I change my training, and that training seems to replicate the idea. Right, like so, I'll take the idea, and then I'll start doing intervals. Yeah, and because I don't, this is totally out of left field, and I didn't write about it like this because I think it would be too weird for people to try to understand. But I hone in from like an interval, like a long interval gets me to get like more resilience with the idea. I like build out the sides of it. And as I get closer to the four and three minute intervals, it becomes a very sharp idea. And almost the sentences reflect the sharpness of the like idea. As you, in a sense, refine the workout, your yeah. thoughts become refined. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get rid of the things that don't matter. Right. Right. I'm like, okay, I don't need to do that. Okay, that word is too many. And then like I start refining. So even if it's Oh, that's interesting. Even if I'm not like working on the concept while I'm training, when I get done with training, that energy that I then put in to the paragraph, it like maps the sharpening. So now my I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm before I was spending four hours writing on it, but now I'm gonna spend twenty minutes and I'm gonna take out all of the useless words and like then I'll come back and I'll only spend five minutes on it and I'll like refine it. And in my head, the paragraph or the words start to take a very sharp shape. 
and now they should they already have their rhythm they already have like their their foundation and now it just becomes like jabs that i'm placing in here right so you get the sentence structure represents for me the intensity with how i'm training and that's why i was training for a long time and not sub i was like subconsciously doing this where i was like i feel like doing a grinding session well guess what i'm in the part where i'm like grinding away at what the idea is so you're like physicality is matching your mental state a hundred percent and then later i was like god i just feel like getting raggedy and like kind of like i want to like you know like get my teeth into something and feel like i'm like I want to feel like I'm on top of it because that aggression then plays over in the sentence structure where I'm trying to like punctuate it or I'm trying to like um, I'm trying I'm trying to get the rhythm so that it's sharp. So when you read it, it goes, this is what I'm saying. This is how it sounds. And this is what I mean when it's doing the thing. And this is what it is. And that like that that feel to it also matches lyricism when they write like hip hop. So hip hop is like an opener, a metaphor, and a punchline. And if you want to like capture people's attention, that flow, that rhythm sets. It's it's a uh, it's a dialectic, if you know what that is. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the uh, thesis, the antithesis, and then the synthesis. In each paragraph, starts to match that thing. And when you look at that structure from the like philosophical point of view. Um, you have to have a thesis that's very loose. I want to be big and muscular. Okay. Well, guess what the antithesis to that? You can't be fat and sloppy and lazy. And so that's the brunt of the work. That's the foundation. And then when you get down to it, you're like, the synthesis is like revealing like the muscularity in your abs and in your chest and in your delts. And you're like, you're getting to the very like fine features of things. You've refined it. It's You've made something new out of tearing something down and building something up. And so that 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 was revealed to me kind of a long time ago, although like I've never really been able to articulate very accurately what that feeling was. Yeah, yeah. But I noticed it because I would like train in here in the morning and then I would go into the office and I would be like, God, I just don't have it today. Well, it's because my effort didn't match actually the tempo or the thing that I needed to carry. So it almost over. throws just throws you off. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm the exact opposite in a sense. Mm. I need to go long. And the longer I go, the more like the bullshit in my head falls away and like the actual problem presents itself. I would say that that is the same thing um, that I'm talking about, but uh, just worded differently. The long stuff allows all of the good stuff that you're going to put into writing oh, yeah, or a project yeah. to the surface. To the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause you cut away I, the same thing. You cut away all the bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for instance, we're, um, I've been writing this. I, I hate, this is in him. This is in him guys. This is my not self. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm, good. Cause in a second, I'm going to bring up human design as well. Cause what would this podcast be without it? I know I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to like work in secret and not tell anybody that I'm working on anything. So that you are sense. Darth Maul. I, <laughs> kind of confirmation. Will you just check the focus on that? And is it in focus? It's okay. Yeah. And then if you can, you know, the trigger button for the, just half hit it and it should focus it. Okay, cool. Sorry. To be continued. I just wanted to make sure because either I'm blind or this is out of focus. Well, but your eyes do suck. Eh, they are. 
That's part of the aging thing they don't tell you. About. <laughs> um, they, so I was, I was working on a, an idea for an article with jujitsu for the past. It's been like nine months that I started the article, thought I had something really good, and then I came to the ending and I was like, Ugh. well, it's not going to get finished, and it just got shoved into the back, and then it came up again, and then it got shaved, shoved into the back, and it's a really good concept, but everything in it was bullshit. The concept uh, was based off of, hear me out because it's going to go into the weeds about jujitsu, but like that jujitsu is based off of, it's the same principles as rock, paper, scissors. That's why it's so complex. It's what they call a three body problem. A three body problem is unsolvable problem until you can identify at least two of the variables. But if there's three variables that are undefined, it's chaos. Right, so Monty Hall problem. All of these things are kind of like what are known as unsolvable problems. There, there, you can get close, but everything is a probability because things need to collapse in order to solve them. Well, jujitsu, jujitsu is the same thing. It is based off of like what I would call rock paper scissors, except nobody knows how to define what the implements that beat other implements are. And if you could, like right now, we can say dominating is better than passive except it's not it really depends on the style of dominating and there's a third problem that fits in there that reveals the answer of what will win and what you're doing is you're trying to collapse the problem with each move and if you imagine move for move now it's all happening at once so it's hard to if you you watch jujitsu so you see it but it's kind of like scrambling oh shit he has a position what happened in there is not chaos, actually. What happened is each one of those players had multiple different uh, known moves and known paths that they could take. Their body is kind of detecting, uh, like in an immediate game of rock, paper, scissors, which way to go, right? So there's like nuances in their knee position and they'll shuck it with their chest subconsciously to test it. And if it's weak, they'll knee weave. But if it's strong, they'll knee cut. Something like that, as, and as an example, if you're an open guard. And then you have these, what, what the third body problem is, is somebody who throws in novelty. So then you get your Tyne and Dalpras that instead of knee cutting or knee weaving, they long step. And that, if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Just imagine that there's like, this is a creative play on the same concept. He's playing with recognizing that this guy is either good at rock or paper, but he doesn't know what scissors do. And so he's feeding him something that he's not used to. And every single second is kind of testing what I'm, I'm doing this the whole time, right? The whole time. And then when he, te- I go like this and if I didn't get it right, he sweeps. But if I did get it right, I pass. Right. And then I continue. And if my rhythm is really good, I, I secure mount. And then if my, you know, it's, it's like this whole tempo going. Anyway, long story short, uh, I was writing the article and it wasn't until last week during that 90 minute session that it, the idea started to reveal itself. And it had nothing to do with the 3,000 words that I wrote on that topic. Right. It actually had to do with trying to get it. This sounds weird, but it is like 100% true. It's like I needed to do all that work and that conceptual work to understand that no one gives a fuck about that idea. I was going to say getting all that on paper probably helped Yeah. at that moment. Like that stuff wasn't in your head yeah. anymore. So now there was space yeah. to kind of... Jiu-jitsu people don't fucking care. 
they would go, oh, yeah, okay, you got to train hard. And they would go about doing their shit. And then shit. they just laugh. You'd be like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. Because all you got to do the ice, Not pure vida, bro. And and then it would be, you know, whatever. Um, but what I got down to the idea is that, like, if you can figure out this concept, great. Like, if in your head. But that's only great for me because it helped me solidify like my own practice. What was more interesting in writing it is that I decided like in running, I was like, <laughs> I'm not supposed to try to win jujitsu, right? That like, that's not my purpose in learning jujitsu. I'm gonna try because I fucking sure. love choking people. But what jujitsu, what the culture of jujitsu lacks is like a bard or a poet. It has plenty of champions. It has nobody to sing its praises about what it's actually good for. Like it, we, we had Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace, right? Then we had Sam Harris, also rest in peace. <laughs> and, and now there's no spokesperson where it makes sense because jujitsu is arguably not very, uh, it's conceptual, but it's not very intellectual. It's very in the gut and in feeling because the sport happens too fast to intellectualize it, right? If you're ma if you're really good at working your mind, you're probably really bad at jujitsu. It's like it's so opposing you, force. Would you still say though that's like another kind of intellectual or intelligence? Oh, like if, the feeling? Yeah, most, yeah, 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 totally. Not like psychologically intellectual. Or yeah, whatever. It, yeah, for sure. It's it's um, but it's it's in the mind, not in the body. Right. So it's in the the way that we construct concepts in that logical framework, it doesn't follow that. Jiu-Jitsu is highly logical, but it's not. It's not logical because it happens too fast. To It collapses too fast. Right. Right. So it's like physics is logical. Quantum physics is not at all. <laughs> it's actually the opposite of logic. That's why they can't fucking figure it out. And Jiu-Jitsu resembles that almost perfectly. If I get your arm on a fulcrum and pull on it, Newtonian physics, right? If I am like wrestling you to the ground, an object that stays in motion tends to stay in motion. It's physics. But if I'm waiting to pass and and I don't know why I made a decision, but I just I, I felt something was off and I made a different move and it it basically counteracted what you thought I was doing, that's that's like a esoteric feeling. That's a, that's a probability, and that's what quantum physics comes down to probability. I don't want to get. I don't think like quantum physics is like spooky. It is spooky, but it's not like, it's not like the Deepak Chopra spooky. Right. It's it's like, how, what? That doesn't make any sense. And when you watch the best jujitsu guys in the world, you go, what the fuck? Like you like Gordon Ryan. You watch that fight, and you're I, like, what? It's unbelievable, and he doesn't look like he's doing anything. Nothing. You're it like, looks, are you even trying? Yeah. And he just like walks around people. Yeah. Right. He's just like, and he's, he, sometimes he seems bored. Like he's <laughs> trying to give them something to do. And he's like, here's my yeah. leg. Like, yeah. see what you can do with it. Just so he can like stay engaged in it. Yeah. Cause I think his under his subconscious understanding of the problems that are involved are so far ahead of other yeah. people's conception. When you talk like he's kind of an asshole, obviously, because I think the great, fight promoters are assholes but i think when you listen to him and donaher arguably talk about jujitsu they talk about jujitsu how we talk about fitness yeah right they, they have a complete understanding of the physical 
uh, antidotes and threats that are involved in what you can do with the human body. Like they understand exposing a shoulder and arm and elbow or a back and what that means for the potential of like devastating chokes or whatever. But they all, and maybe the, I think Donahue is more on this side. They also understand that there is something way bigger than that underneath the practice of it is what I get from it. Um, anyway, I told you it was going to go down a wormhole. I mean, Gordon Ryan put up a video, you know, five days ago about like the way he coached John Jones. Yeah. And I feel like generally speaking, the best athletes in most sports aren't good coaches. Yeah. But at least from what I saw and the way I interpreted it, he understood very quickly how John Jones learned. So he didn't just like bring him in, sit on the mats. Here's a whiteboard. This is what we're going to go over. And he was like, obviously there's things in his game that I thought he could improve upon. We talked about it, figured him out. But he was like, we would just start with a basic move. And then whatever the next move was would like, that's how John Jones learned. Like he had to be in the moment, like tactile, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we start from turtle position. And then it's like, Oh, I didn't know you could go that way with it. Yeah. And then, like, that's how their training went, and that's how he taught him, like, whatever he needed to refine or work on. And I found that really interesting, just like, I mean, he's Gordon Ryan seems like a genius with jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how well he coaches it, but it seems like he has a very good understanding of, like, relating it to people mm-hmm. instead of just, like, this is how I do it, this is my system, sit down and listen. Yeah. I found that very interesting. Yeah, because it's the same thing. He recognizes the individuality. Yeah. And, and I think most – High level jujitsu guys do understand this. They'll look at fulcrums and body types and be like, don't play that game. Right? Sure. Um, and the same thing, like if you're over 200 pounds, it's assumed that you play a top game harder than you play a bottom game. Unless you move a certain way and you go, you can play the bottom game. Yeah, like yeah. you can invert and you can. Right. A little mobile, move a bit yeah. better than like Chad Wesley Smith or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that. that guy has to play the top game because on the back, he's a turtle. I would not want him on top of me. No. <laughs> that sounds fucking terrible. But also, eh, yeah. You'd probably deal with it. Yeah. I, I, it'd probably be fun. It yeah. just wouldn't be fun in the moment. Jiu Jitsu is fun with almost anybody as long as they're there for the same reason you are. Right. And that's the that's what I would say is the esoteric part of it. I also believe the same thing about fitness. And I would say the same thing about like shooting. When you're around somebody who is there for a similar reason, you bring a, a the same energy to it. Yeah. Right? You're like, cool, we're here to have fun. Or we're here to explore um how weak we are we're here to explore how resilient we are or we want to just do something silly and fun and laugh about it uh, if you're there for very similar reasons then you can like you can get the environment going because we're all jamming and listening to kind of like similar vibey music and having the same kind of effort that's why fyf your energy matches exactly it's harmonizing yeah right you're you're you are meeting somebody where they're at at their frequency and you're resonating with them um which is like, I could fit, this is kind of, as a side note, this is so funny. I went to that Nako concert uh, yesterday. And it's like, dude, his music is like feel good, yeah, jammy, singer, songwriter. He's real like, he's real clever. His lyricism is awesome. And everybody there was like, light a lighter kind of deal. And like, everybody's singing Kumbaya. I was like, <laughs> it was a good vibe. And then I walked in and I was like, not my vibe. I was like not in that place. Right. I was. I walked in. I felt like somebody. I was the gong that somebody hit. <laughs> it was like you wanted to be a tool. Yeah. I was dissonant to everything, and I could tell every person that I interacted with. I was like, I do not want to be here. I don't. 
I, and that, if you're not aware of that feeling, start to become aware of it because then you can start to understand like where you should put yourself if you want to change. I was like coming into that place. Most people would be like, that's the antidote to being a negative Nancy. <laughs> Sometimes the antidote makes it much worse. Oh, well, because it's dissonance. <laughs> right. Uh, it's total dissonance. It's like if if you come in and you're like, I fucking hate everybody. I want to be like, why don't you just cheer up and be positive? Smile more. <laughs> you're like, you're one of those people that I fucking hate. But if you match where somebody's at, then you can tune them. And I think we've talked about this in other podcasts, maybe. For for this is a, this has a lot to do with our like coaching yeah. uh, prerequisites and our coaching style is like trying to take a minute to understand where the room's at, which is a combination of people, more complex, harder to do, but also where an individual's at in a private training session. So you're like, if they're down, they had a hard day, they're tired. You need to kind of take that in, match them, and reflect them a little bit so that they show like they know that you understand where they're coming from and then you can like move them up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So if somebody came in and they saw my attitude and my like negative negativity and they were like, they were tuned into it and they wanted to shift me, they would probably, instead of asking me about what I'm feeling, they would probably start immediately uh, insinuating that they felt the same. Like, ah, oh, man, it's a fucking day, man. And he'd be like, yeah, right? Already, it's brought me up because I find agreement and solidarity in somebody. And like, yeah, it's just, you know, fucking happens. I just want to, like, tear people's heads off. And some days just suck. And now you go, yeah, but it'll, like, get better and blah. And then you slowly start to bring somebody back to a more pot. And after about 15 minutes, you can change people's state. Right. If you just, like, if you take a second and just try to see where they're at, and sometimes you have to put it on like this is like a this is the act uh this is the sociopathy that me and mark talk about is to like meet somewhere they're at that's the warm-up bring somebody where they need to do that's the meat of it do the thing and then cool them down and let them go and that's the like leveling up for each part you do that enough days in a row and you have like really good results yeah yeah and i found with you know doing that the more buy-in you already have of that person, the shorter sometimes yes. that window is to get them, yeah. you know, kind of into it. Yeah, because they trust you. Right. Right. They, they trust the process a lot more. They trust that, like, you're not just faking it. Because you, although you may be, like, putting it on a little bit, you're actually genuinely understand where they're coming from. Right. And you can draw from genuine experiences, even if they're a little bit embellished, just to, like, help somebody understand that you know what they're feeling like. Yeah, It's kind of interesting. Word. Word. Masterclass. You'll, you'll get there, Lucas. Yeah, shortly. <laughs> I mean, it's part of it. Some people have it naturally, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, you, you will probably, because you see how we do it and you've seen it long enough, it's kind of interesting to see how fast you actually catch on to certain things mm -hmm. uh, and how slow other people <laughs> never catch on to things, which is kind of interesting. But that's that would be a... That would be a different fitness is fucked podcast. <laughs> we should do a coaching one, actually. Um, did we ever talk about the Beckham thing? I mean, I brought it up in the beginning, but we didn't really expand on it. I, I think you should talk about it. I mean, when I was thinking about resiliency, one thing I was thinking about when people are like, and I know Beckham did not want to train at this point. I believe it was when he was re with Real Madrid. 
mm-hmm. and the coach was like, you're not playing anymore, you're not training with the team. Mm-hmm. And he went there every day, was like the first person to show up, last person to leave, mm-hmm. was with the other like assistant coach, whoever the fuck he was running with, and just trained the whole time. Yeah. And I was just trying to conceptualize that compared to like somebody that goes to the gym for six months and then has like an off week, and before you know it, it's been four weeks and they're not back. Yeah. I the, And I know that's like the inverse of each other, but it's still like watching that and just seeing the players over time being like, Hey, when the fuck is Beck's gonna come back? Hey, yeah. we could we could use him. Yeah. And then yeah. finally the coach like went from his hard stance on like, yeah. you'll never play with us again to like, Oh, we do need you back. And you've yeah. like kind of like proven that you deserve to do it based on like your unwavering commitment. Like even the coach thought he was just gonna like give Go up. Yeah. Any player that I can think of in the fucking United States that plays for a professional team, if they were like, Hey, you did this shit this weekend and we don't stand for that, like fuck you, you're not playing anymore, they would just be like, Cool, I'll go to another team. Yeah, the, the in I think well because it replicates what we did. What the like, the worst punishment in original human societies was outcast. Yeah, exile. Being, yeah, was being an outcast. Yeah, um, that meant a certain death, but long death. Like not ex- being executed is like, well, I fucked up. Being outcast is like, oh no, right? I'm gonna suffer a lot. Yeah, and so when we replicate that through religious, you know whatever practices or cults sometimes do it or in this it's like very culty how they did it i don't think very many people have the like the determination but he kind of like hacked the system right like how do you mean well he like i think he he consciously was like these people aren't going to win and if i like he made in his head a kind of a uh, decision that like winning meant that he like if he left, they won. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I see what you're saying. So he just moved the goalpost to be like, well, if I don't leave, then I win, and it doesn't matter. Right. Like, like you ultimately want me to quit, and I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah. That, that's what. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of the goalpost thing. And so he reasserted the goal, redefined it, and then just stuck to that definition of it, which not a lot of people are able to do. Right. But in looking at his career from that you know that that documentary was like fascinating how many times in his life he's been able to do that yeah that's what i found really strange i, I mean having an entire country fucking hate you <laughs> and it like you remember or you get um reminded of that yeah. every single day by walking down on the streets oh, dude. people yelling at you things Spitting in the newspaper bidding on you booed by your own yeah. country like when you walk out onto the field like the fact that he just kept with it and kept with it didn't get bitter about it wasn't obnoxious wasn't like telling the fans to fuck off wasn't like doing this whole shtick just like he just stuck with it and like found it as a way to be fuel to even get better what's the other i started well because i watched that a bunch of other documentaries showed up about soccer oh or i haven't seen any other ones and um the new kid i think is brazilian kid he's like the next uh, pele neymar neymar yeah yeah, neymar you know who he is Yeah, yeah is it it's because he's like well, he's good. He's nasty. Did he's you play so- soccer? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I, did you? Yeah, but not. Yeah, not to any good level. Foot fairy. So Neymar's like <laughs> the dude right now, right? Yeah, I'd say he, right now with Messi kind yeah, of being. Yeah, I say Messi too. Messi kind of on his way out. Oh, okay. Neymar's the world. He's like he's he's probably the big biggest name. Okay. But you still have Ronaldo and Messi around, but Neymar's like the next generation, or at least the. Bridge. Oh yeah, because Cristiano's retired, right? 
Ronaldo? Either just retired or he's about to. Uh, okay. Okay. So, the, I mean, I don't keep up with soccer. Yeah. so it's We're not soccer fans, so if anybody's upset, we apologize. So, Neymar's thing comes up, and you like, you just see in his upbringing, obviously grew up, like, rough, but he made it pretty early on. Yeah. And made it, like... It, it, I, he was making a good living like immediately. Yeah, I think it was what, like 16, 15, yeah. 16. He was like millionaire. Yeah. Immediate, like tons of money. And maybe maybe that influence, but when you see him react to stress and pressure, different than David Beckham. Sure. Right? And you know, like, I, who knows what the upbringing has to do with it? But when I see, when people talk about how sport is hard, you're like, yeah, it's tough physically and mentally, and it gets you. And I was like, I've never seen anything like what they portrayed his like uh, his public kind of battle with like all of the UK essentially. Right, Beckham, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. It was like I was blown away. I had to watch it twice. Yeah, yeah. Because I just didn't understand how like he just like kept that in, and then I like him explaining at the end of it, uh, like man, it's really hard to talk about. I've never talked about it before. And you're like, whoa. And even like, because what, right after he got kicked out of the World Cup, was it the World Cup? I think it was World Cup, yeah. And then he went back to like LA or something with Posh. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, he thought it'd just blow over in a day or two. Which if that happened in the States, it most likely would have. Mm -hmm. Because we're all like, oh, cool, what's the next sport? Yeah. But that's not how soccer is in the UK. That is fucking life. And it is insane. That's fucking crazy, actually. Yeah, I got. If you haven't seen the documentary, it's like it, it. It showed to me like I was like I've. That might be the best example of resilience I've ever yeah. fucking seen. And I like. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but I didn't follow soccer growing up. No. So the only things I knew about David Beckham were the headlines I saw. Oh uh, yeah, interesting. So yeah. I didn't realize that he was like the fucking Michael Jordan of sorts of his era yes. of soccer. Yeah. I thought like because I only heard about him like towards the end of his career. I, I thought he was just the good-looking yeah, soccer player. Yeah, I thought you were like, oh, cool, you're yeah. hot as fuck or yeah. whatever. He, I mean, is. he is. He is. He is objectively. <laughs> he's, he's objectively. I mean, he, has, he has neck tattoos and he looks better somehow. He's objectively better looking than pretty much anybody. And I would have yeah. no issues if he came and cleaned my apartment because that dude is OCD as <laughs> you mean, a motherfucker. Oh, right? You mean clean your pipes? That last yeah, episode, both. you're like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, he's like... The the funny thing in that is like I remember the headlines about his haircut when he finally shaved his head. I, I like vaguely remember. You were probably oh. like right in the height of hairdressing school, right? Or like no, maybe because it was like early two thousands or something. Yeah, it would have been. But I I just remember because it didn't really have anything to do. Maybe it did. Maybe that's why I heard about it because people were like, oh my god, David Beckham's haircut, and he like shaved his head. I was like, who cares? Yeah, I think I just remember seeing a picture of it in the newspaper and being yeah. like, where's basketball? Right. Show me a real sport. Well, it's funny that that would be that that would be the headline, and like that's why it was so influential. And then everything that, but if you do the backstory of why he cut his hair to kind of piss off his manager, and and you do like why he would like play these games to get certain attention until it like finally backfired and they wanted him off the team or whatever. Which I I found that fascinating that like they hadn't talked since. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that's changed since like this thing came out yeah that'd be interesting i did like at the end how they were like equating it to like this was therapy for them yeah because they actually like had to talk about it yeah which is the benefit of therapy that for some reason goes untalked about is the talking about it this uh, this is i i don't think people understand the clearing of grievances no right like 
The uh, oh, so the the prayer that's on the uh, destroy shirt. Yep. Most people don't know what that. That's the Ponopono prayer. That's the uh, reconciliation prayer. That that is invoked whenever you think something has happened and you need to bring it forth. You're not asking for anything other than to bring it forth and let it go. That's the thank you, thank you, whatever the yep. landmine we have in the back. Um, that is that's kind of fascinating because I think when you do look at forms of therapy. They just literally match that. Yep. It's form of reconciliation. And I training, why training works is literally because we just dig up all the ideas that we have and like it's a it's a physical like excavation in some degrees. You go long enough or hard enough and stuff comes up and then you can kind of like let it go. I know you there's no answer to this, but how long do you think you have to train for to get to have that? Right, because I feel like, especially if you're new, like you're too into figuring out how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I know there's no timeline per se, but I, I mean, I think the answer there is like you have to shift why you do it, not oh, yeah, not yeah. like when is it going to happen, but like why it happens. It happens because when you show up, you let go of like the concept that well, you let go of just laundry list stuff, right. which is why laundry list training drives me crazy. Because it distracts you from why you're doing it. And the second you let go of that like intentional idea behind it, there's no point. Just like go for a walk. And when you say laundry list, you mean like, cool, A, yeah. I have this to do. And then B, and 90 minutes yeah. later, you're at Z. And you're like, sweet, I'm done for the day. Yeah. yeah we talked about this yesterday, which I think like it should be reiterated because, you know, maybe I've never vocalized it. It's like, the paragraph in the space program that goes before the workout is the most important part. Right. I think people could just read the paragraphs and not do the workout. I mean, they need to do the workout to start to understand it, but they could read that and get something out of it because the intention or the idea is the point, the why, the I feel like X, Y, and Z, and so I did Z, A, and B, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that... What you're doing is mapping people on your intuition and your problem solving and your expertise. You're bringing them on your thought process, which is not the difference is most people that write down exercises are don't have a thought process. So there's nothing to write down. Right. What it solidifies is that in order to give this workout, I have to have an intention and an idea behind it for it to be effective. Otherwise, it's ineffective. It has no why. Right, like, I could write down the same thing and be like, you know, two by one hundred calories for time, and you'd be like, go fuck yourself. These are gonna be real slow, right? And I would just write that down, and it'd be like, good luck or whatever. Or I could be like, all right, here's what the, it's the narrative to it. I was like, the ability we need to foster is kind of pain tolerance, but we need to be able to do it repetitively. So the concept that I want to foster here is that in the two to two and a half minute realm, because I'm not going to use your fucking number. <laughs> this, Please don't. This, in fact, I'll do my number. The four minute realm, <laughs> the four minute interval realm, I'm trying to hone a very aggressive but um, confident ability to repeat myself. Now, I'm only doing it twice because I don't need to beat down the system. But I'm not doing it once because I need to assure myself that I can repeat myself. Right. 
and then you're like immediately and i just made out that's like bullshit don't do that sure. but but the idea behind that is that you're drawing on something greater than a than a list of movements that do the action for you right the movements don't do it for you your your idea behind them does right so like well i train like this and it works of course it does you have an idea behind it so it can be wrong actually you can you can break physics that way sometimes and you see it all the time people are like, well I, do, I just eat like this and i do it and it's like yeah because your idea is that it's doing something and you can overwrite a lot of wrongness with a lot of intention i used to and we talked about this briefly earlier like not discuss why mm -hmm. i like program the way i program because it didn't have a ton of the way i heard people talk about exercise and like the sciencey sense like yep. the stuff made sense, but I was also like, well, they're a human being too. So like, you know, yeah, there needs to be like, you know, antagonist Agnes mm -hmm. and like, you know, push pull and all that stuff. But it's also like, here's a softball every once in a while, yeah. or here's a curveball. Let's see how you handle it. And then we can talk about it later. Yeah. And like throwing those things in there that like, I mean, it, I didn't put them in, in like a dangerous way. Right. But my thought wasn't also like revolving around science. So I was like, well, I can't tell people this and I think I'm stupid. Yeah, but it was more like, but I am coaching a human being that none of the science you talk about has ever been done on, right? And like her life is different, or his life is different than whatever. So it's like, yeah, the principle still exists, but like on the outside, where like I think the important part is like you're a fucking human, and I need to like get you to want to keep doing this, but also like show you your limitations while also progressing them, and like this weird little game of I don't know tricks or whatever yeah. you want to call it. No, I think I think that's uh, you, you're probably on to something. Um, but what I think you're talking about is the fact that you know how to do something subconsciously. Yeah, and to bring it into the conscious field feels like you're going to ruin it. It kind of hurts, and, and, and like it's not like a physical pain. But no. I'm like, yeah, it's like hard to get out. Yeah, but I would say that that is the these are the next levels is taking what you can do subconsciously uh, just like jujitsu right. and then trying to understand how you do it so you can replicate it right so that i can like put it out for lucas to try right because that, that was the hardest part for me and bringing lucas on as an apprenticeship i don't know how i do a lot of things and i have no reason to tell somebody unless they're here right and now that he's standing in front of me he was like well why, why would you do that and i'm like i've never thought about that i gotta actually come up with a justification for yeah it. i'm starting to have little moments like that with clem i yeah. mean he hasn't been here long enough to ask a lot of those questions yet but you're thinking about him in the time before he got here when he said okay to signing up for the apprentice program i'm like fuck like this is one part i've always shied away from is like explaining why i do what i do because huh? I think there's like a value issue there and like, you know, whatever insecurity, but also I'm like, well now I have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, you're putting yourself in a position where you have to develop and yeah. that's uncomfortable yeah. always. And I like, feel like too, like stories, people remember stories yeah. in a way versus like we could talk about the science and scientific terms, mm -hmm. but you guys have mentioned a bunch clients don't care. No, they're, they're going to be like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what do we do again? Tabata. All right. In 1979, Dr. Tabata came up with this amazing con. You're like, they're like, fuck. <laughs> they already left. But if you tell me, like, by the way, it was also for speed skating and not an assault, bike, <laughs> yeah. but it's no big deal. But when you tell them a story, and I, I actually, I say this because I just finished Game of Thrones and Tyrion <laughs> has for a the lot, first time. For the first time. Um, and Tyrion says that. It's like, you know, what, 
what lives on and it's stories. So if you know how to stories, if you know how to tell stories or if you have stories, that's people are going to be drawn to that. And that's, what's going to live on. Well, it's what organizes our brain. Right. Right. And I think people like, there's obviously a lot written on this. You like Joseph Campbell stuff is what most of it's based off of. But if you really want to reach somebody, you have to frame it in the dialectic because that is literally what the uh, i'd hate to bring it up again but that that's what the the hero's journey is right right there's um you're living in your thesis something presents an idea that is the antithesis to that and in order to solve it you're thrown into an uncomfortable world of resolution and what you come out with what they call the goblet or the sword or the ruby or the jewel is the synthesis you've come up with a new idea and a new concept and you just regurgitate this process over and over again and that is what leads to basically the evolution of mankind right is story everything is storytelling like from the idea of money to how we basically remember anything about the world yeah. it's like a then this happened and so we build the time construct and the uh the crisis and the resolution mm -hmm. and now you have you have everything from music to it's like f to me it's one of the most phenomenal and remarkable acknowledgements is that if you learn to communicate this way you reach people and you're understood far better than if you're like yeah. and you're like you know trying to just pretend you're something that you're not i guess is the best way yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I think jordan peterson's always kind of said like the more articulate you are, like the more dangerous you are because yeah. the more you understand things, the better you can communicate mm -hmm. all, all those things playing to like the person you can become or the things you end up doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're able to attract people that aren't interested. Yeah. Like that's cause you can always attract people that are for, yeah. for the most part, but it's your ability. Once you, you develop a new power, once you're like, Oh, I can bring someone that doesn't give a fuck. That's sales. Yeah. yeah. Like th this is like, we talked about it a little bit ago. Um, interesting enough is like, I, I, the idea, if you can sell an idea to somebody, uh, and they agree with it, you've just like taken somebody into your world. Right. You're like, you've convinced them that this world is worth exploring. And if you get enough people to explore your world with it, you really shift culture. Yep. Right, like imagine the amount of people that watched Fight Club and were affected deeply by it, and and not the like, they didn't. I mean, some people literally started Fight Club, but <laughs> the 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 bigger the bigger theme about looking at your life not in terms of materialism and mm -hmm. looking at it in terms of like questioning authority and try like there's lots of people that were affected by a fucking movie that was ridiculous. It was about a schizophrenic psychopath. Right. And how many people are like, I need to do something with my life. That it was eye opening. Yeah, yeah. It that shifted culture. We now have a term that we use all the time we forget, but when we call people snowflakes, we're literally referencing that culture shifting moment. The same uh, I thing didn't even was know that. the same thing with three hundred. You're like, it was a dumb movie about a bunch of people in underwear. It was actually an awesome movie, but <laughs> it shifted our perspective of how we look at what physiology or what physicality is and that i think the story tells me that it's attached to the sense of duty a sense of honor a sense of responsibility a sense of sacrifice 
uh, and that is what that is what makes the physique possible. Right. Like it wasn't that they were just shredded because if you take the same scenario and you just put a bunch of jack jack dudes that are tan and they're laying around like bitching like gossipy little girls, you'd be like, I'm not interested in being jacked. That, that there's nothing there that pulls you in, but they build this story of an impending doom and right. army and Armageddon, and they they show that like the weaker man will not stand up to such a force, and the people that do stand up to it look a certain way, carry themselves a certain way. Right, the the one scene <clears throat> I never forget that it like kind of always sits in my mind and actually popped up the other day for whatever reason is when they like meet the Greeks. Yeah. on the road and they're like laughing at them and, and this I made me think of it because like I run into <laughs> this sounds really stupid I run into people like oh yeah I coached CrossFit and I think of this scene immediately oh interesting right when he's like oh yeah we're you're like we're here to help you and like what's your profession and he's like I'm a potter and he's like how about you sir and he's like I'm a fisherman and they're like Spartans <laughs> they're just like Oh, they're built for war. Yeah. And you're like, you are not a serious fucking person unless you do it for your livelihood. And like, that's like kind of, you know, obviously glorified and all of the other things. But whenever I think about that, I'm like, oh my God, that movie changed my fucking life. Just seeing it and being like, I need to be a serious person. That, and maybe I just realize this, I might only be a professional coach because that scene bled into what I thought about what I should do for a living. Yeah, yeah. If whatever I do for a living, I need to be serious about it. Because right. I don't want to ever be that part-time person that's just filling in. Yeah. That's the one movie I can recall right now, at least, that like I was so immersed in the story in the movie that I like didn't even pay attention to the actors that were in it. Oh, or yeah. any, like it, I'd have to like think back and be like, who's the main guy again? Oh, yeah, Jerry. The, the funny thing about that is that that's because Zach is so good at bringing you in visually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Lambert's dry hump in the air while he's sleeping. You know, he's dry. dreaming about 300. Yeah. No, he's thinking, he's like, <laughs> fucking guys in fucking togas. <laughs> he's thinking about you on the medicine ball. Yeah. <laughs> that, that video of Jamie falling off the medicine ball is my favorite. Yeah. I think we're there for our... We went a little bit long today, but that's okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thanks, thank Lucas. Welcome. Fit, thank you. Fitness is less fucked. <laughs> a little less. It's a little bit less. All right, till next time.